In today's epistle to the Romans, Paul bemoans his fate. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really relate to this passage. <laughs> Actually, if you're anything like me, and you're being honest with yourself, you probably wake up with some version of these words in your head at least once a week. That struggle on so many levels between following what we know to be the right path versus gleefully skipping down the road to perdition. That struggle is a constant in many of our lives. And if that is not the case for you, I need to know your secret. The fact is, temptations await us at every turn. Many is the time I've been out to dinner with someone waiting to order, say, a somewhat healthy chicken sandwich and rehearsing over and over in my head with a side salad, with a side salad, with a side salad, only to have the waiter come up and ask, what would you like on the side? And reply, French fries, please. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In many ways, large and small, we human beings have a tendency towards allowing free reign to our baser impulses. We don't even really hate the things we do. We just sometimes recognize that they're not the kindest, healthiest, or most honest way to live. I'm not going to ask you for your list of shortcomings. I kind of already know some of them. Nor will I share mine. You know some of mine. But I think we can agree that we take the wrong path, the road Christ would rather have us not walk down with some frequency. Back when I was in seminary, the evil I did was procrastinating and turning in late papers. Church Divinity School of the Pacific, the place I attended in Berkeley, was part of a larger consortium of seminaries called the General Theological Union. So I took classes at a number of different schools. And not to brag, but I think I still hold the record for late papers turned in to the most denominations. My total was five. Episcopal, Lutheran, UCC, Presbyterian, and two Roman Catholic seminaries, Jesuit and Franciscan. At the end of every semester, my middle name was incomplete. I took a dozen books on Ezra and Nehemiah with me to Wisconsin one Christmas break to write a late research paper, then drove them right back across the country untouched and unopened. Essays on liberal Protestantism accompanied me to Austin, Texas one January for a class for the same reason. And books on St. Teresa of Avila joined me for a week in New York one summer. And she would have accompanied us on our honeymoon to Italy if William had not put his foot down. Now, all this might make me sound like some globe-trotting scholar, but the truth was far less glamorous because the evil I did hurt me the most. 
Like the time I pulled an unsuccessful all-nighter to finish a paper in my first year of seminary when I dropped to my hands and knees in my Berkeley apartment and banged my head against the floor in despair over and over. I mean, it was carpeted, but it still hurt. And I had little rug marks on my forehead the next day. And all the other nights before a deadline with my please God, please, please help me, sobbing fits at 3 a.m., muffled into a pillow in the walk-in closet so I wouldn't wake William. And the pathetic hiding from professors in the school hallways all the time. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the very thing I hate. My academic advisor at seminary quoted this passage from Romans to me, the third time she called me into her office about a late paper. She said, self-sabotage is almost like an addiction. You can't help it. You feel helpless to change things. St. Paul really had it right all those years ago. Or as my mentor told me once in Long Beach, Ricardo, you have to be effing something up in order to feel okay about yourself. The evil I did was to turn in late papers. Now I can't look into your big beautiful hearts and name your helplessness, but if we are at all alike, my guess is that yours also feels like sin. In this passage from Romans, I think Paul is talking about original sin. It is not I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, he says. That concept is not an easy one for many of us. The church has used original sin for centuries to elicit shame around things like sex and sexuality. In a nutshell, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, and that original sin caused their fall from grace. They passed on this fallibility, this tendency to do wrong, what these days we just call human nature. They passed it on to all of us through the act of procreation. And since none of us can be born without sex happening first, we automatically inherit that DNA, genetic proclivity to sin. It's inescapable. The evil I do not want is what I do. At a basic level, original sin is the reminder that from the beginning of creation, we have done what is not good for us. The concept was articulated by St. Augustine of Hippo early in the 5th century. His explanation was a response to Pelagianism, a heresy that insisted that humans have of themselves, without the necessary help of God's grace, the ability to lead a morally good life, and thus denied the teaching that God is the giver of all that is good. That is not so, said Augustine. Without God's grace we would wallow in our filthy sty of sin. Again, original sin has been a painful source of shame to millions of Christians throughout the centuries, and it is still with us today. But honestly, I have come to believe in original sin. Not the shaming aspects, but rather as an instructive concept for why we never seem to get it right. There is a way to acknowledge that we are capable of sin without the requisite shame or defensiveness attached to it. 
Now, I don't believe that Adam and Eve literally happened, but I do believe the story of Adam and Eve contains truths that are more profound than mere fact. For instance, there's just something about being human that makes screwing up an inevitable part of life. And a story about how that tendency was there from the start just feels true. It's a myth in the sense that it explains why humankind came to have traits that are harmful to our neighbors and ourselves. How did peacock get its tail? How did bear come to hibernate? How did man and woman get their sinful behavior? Paul is very interested in sin. In just this chapter of Romans, he uses the Greek word for sin, hamartia, 13 times. Hamartia generally meant a failure to hit the mark, an image taken from the sport of archery. So to sin was simply to miss the bullseye of your moral target. But in the New Testament, hamartia carries a heavier ethical burden. For Paul, sin is that which is done wrong. It is falling short of our righteousness. The original sin of our nation, the way we fall short of our righteousness, is racism. The genocide of indigenous people so we could take their land, and the enslavement of Africans so we could make a profit. And sadly, like the individual version of original sin, our collective version seems baked into our very DNA. It remains with us today, and it feels inescapable. It may no longer look like genocide or slavery or the peonage system or lynching or Jim Crow segregation or redlining or a drug war that leads to mass incarceration. But it's still here. It's just evolved in police violence against African-Americans, in white supremacists hunting down blacks who are out for a jog, and in our refusal to look at it head on and admit that we are its beneficiaries. Because frankly, we all benefit from it to this day. If we're white or white adjacent, like I am, it is one of the evils done on our behalf that we admit to in our confession of sin. We celebrate Independence Day this weekend, July 4th, 1776, when our Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. As you know, it was written by Thomas Jefferson who wrote those eloquent words, all men are created equal, while owning 600 slaves in his lifetime. He was so ambivalent about slavery, considering it a a shameful thing for our country to engage in, but also clamming up when he realized how much profit it brought to his estate, enabling him to live a lavish lifestyle. What a monstrous irony to condemn inequality from the very creation of our nation and yet to bake it in to our creation. 
and to benefit from it. But you know, whenever I want to denounce Jefferson and call him a, a hypocrite, which he was, I realize that I, and let's be honest, we, fall somewhere on that same spectrum of hypocrisy. We condemn the racism, but won't relinquish the benefits we receive from its continuation in the forms it takes today. That's why such a concept as reparations will probably never fly in this country. I love America. I wanted that flag out there for this service. I love America enough to wish it were better. In the same way, I try to love myself into being better. How can we get from the helplessness of such sin to redemption? Paul says, by faith alone. And if we have followed Paul this far in his message, then the only solution to our dilemmas is to trust that God is out there advocating for us against our sin. Paul turns to that advocate at the end of this passage. He steps out of his tortured monologue and suddenly cries, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by our faith. We have Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast off the yoke of sin, whose weight clings so closely, and take on Christ's yoke of salvation. Admit that you need saving, and let yourself rely on God to help you through. When you choose to truly follow Jesus, to commit to change, to humble yourself, that yoke becomes much lighter to bear when we stop worrying about what benefits we will lose and start hoping for the benefits we will all gain as a nation, that is when we will be following Christ. In Christ, we are saved from our all too human nature, inherited from Adam and Eve, but we need to do our part. Nicole Hannah-Jones, writing in the New York Times Magazine, said, A truly great country does not ignore or excuse its sins. A truly great country confronts them and then works to make them right. If we are to be redeemed, if we are to live up to the magnificent ideals upon which we were founded, we must do what is just. And Father James Martin a Jesuit priest who has written books on how the Roman Catholic Church must become more accepting of its LGBT members wrote something that I think also applies. The root of sin is the failure to bother to love. The root of sin is the failure to bother to love. When in doubt about which path you are on towards redemption or perdition, Choose the one whose signposts say love. 
May we always remember to bother to love everyone. For in those loving gestures and thoughts lie the first steps back onto the road of salvation. May it be so.